Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. I, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk with you tonight. We, we didn't have a, a passage for October, um, so we took a month off, you know, looking at a particular passage. So October's been a bit random. We had Oren on the first Sunday talking about the kingdom of God. We had Colin last week here and you've got me tonight. So it's a, um, an open thing. And I actually want to um, talk to you tonight about your heart. And so I'm going to play the pastoral card and um, ask you some questions about your heart tonight. Um, but before we get into it, uh, like I'm going to do something that is probably... Um, I would have got, you know, in the past, this is something I would have got everyone to do, but I've learned that that's actually quite uncomfortable for lots of people to ask the congregation to all do something together because I think we all need to actually have agency. So I want to ask maybe three brave people to do something for me out the front. You have to, this is what, I'm not going to tell you what you're going to do because then, like, <laughs> no, I mean, what well, then it just gives, like, it's not like it's a big secret, but then it's just like, oh, um, it'll ruin the, it's, now, I'm going to ask you to use your hands to demonstrate four different postures of your heart. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. So if you feel like, I can do that, I don't mind people looking at me and I don't mind using my hands to demonstrate posture of the heart, volunteer. And if no one volunteers, I'll get you all to do it. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Anyone brave enough? Oh, Chris. Oh, I need a couple because, you know, we need some diversity. Sarah, okay. One other person, just for nuance. Oh, Matt. I know. You can't leave me hanging. I can wait. I've learned a lot about... Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... And I mean, think along. Imagine that you, you know, imagine that I did ask everyone to do it and how you might do this. So, if I was to ask you, using your hands, mostly just your hands, to have a posture of openness or willingness, what would you do? Yeah, good on you, Chris. Something different. Yeah. Posture of openness. Okay. Um, What if I asked you to make a posture of protectiveness? What would you do with your hands? Ah, See, this is good. This is why I asked different people. And this is why if we all did it, we might actually get like a whole bunch of different things. Okay. Now, what would you do to model a posture of resistance? Yeah, okay. And then the last one, if I was to get you to model a posture of defiance or <laughs> or, or stubbornness, or stubbornness, <laughs> defiance or... Or stubbornness, yes. (laughs) Quiet defiance. Matt, how would you model defiance or stubbornness? 
Okay, you can do that. That's all right. There's no like, this is, you're not going to get marked on this. <laughs> yeah, like that. You can even turn around, like maybe. <laughs> Stay down. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, brave, brave people. Um, so I want to. I do want us to talk about our hearts tonight, and I starting there to just, I guess, give a visual idea that actually our hearts can live in different postures at at different times, and for different reasons. And I guess from the outset, if you fall asleep right now and wake up at the end, what I want you to know is that actually Jesus meets us in every posture of our hearts and there is no place in our hearts where the king of beauty cannot embrace us. So wherever your heart is at at any point in your life, Jesus is there with you. And you can, now if you fall asleep, you've, you've got the, <laughs> the bit. I want to read um, some verses of scripture to you and then we'll just meander from there. In Proverbs 4, chapter 4 and verse 23, obviously the, the whole book of Proverbs is a, is a book of wisdom and those early chapters are, you know, lots of different, you know, selected statements of wisdom. But we get to, towards the end of chapter 4 and the writer of Proverbs says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Then in Luke chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus says this. He says this in like a prophetic statement as he's writing. Um, in mo most of the synoptic gospels have these words in the mouth of Jesus as he's riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. And he says this over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children. How often I have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. And then in John chapter 20, this taking this out of one of the post-resurrection stories and the one that deals with Thomas. And it says, um, part of this encounter with Thomas, Jesus has has revealed himself to the disciples, but Thomas missed out. And, um, and it says, But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. 
stop doubting and believe. Now I'm going to draw all those verses together as we go on, but I want to start by just saying this. Like I, I grew up in, in Christianity, in my Christian life, in a, in a very um, dualistic and black and white yes and no world. It's actually the world we all need to grow up in, in Christianity and in life, where things are simple and understandable and that's the way we understand things to be. It's, we actually need to start there. I started there. I, I heard many stories that laid out faith and God and spirituality in very simple terms. Good, bad, right, wrong, in, out, black, white, um, obedient, disobedient. That, that's the world I kind of grew up in. Um, but as we grow and as we mature, there comes a time when I think we need to hold nuance and recognise that actually that view of the world is largely unsustainable for many things. And if we hold ourselves, and especially I guess I want to say tonight, if we hold our hearts to that kind of black and white spirituality, we will struggle quite deeply to find the God of love and the God of gentleness and actually to find ourselves kind of present with him. And so I've learned that actually um, life and faith is much more simple, much more complex than just the simple yes and no um, right right and wrong, um, obedient and disobedient. And I've also learnt that alongside that, God is actually far more patient and kind and gentle with our yeses and our noes than what I was taught as a child. I've come to know the God of grace and I know many of you have come to know the God of grace as well. And so what I want to offer you tonight is just something I hope that you might think a little bit more deeply about. That's all I want to do. Offer your heart a new kind of framework for understanding how God comes to you and how you come to God in order that you might continue to grow up into all maturity, into the likeness of Christ, but that your heart might actually grow deeper in love for God, for yourself and for the world. And so I want to, I guess, offer a framework for how we listen to our hearts as we um, live the spiritual life, as we live with God, as we live and learn to love God. I want to offer uh, maybe a, a more robust framework than yes or no, obedience or disobedience. And this is really what it is. Um, it's not, it doesn't look very exciting. Because <laughs> I didn't have time to make it look exciting. I need Oren. Oren always does good slides and makes me look really ordinary. But that's okay. <laughs> it's not good or bad. <laughs> it's not right or wrong. It's not black or white. It is black and white, though. Um, so I, I have learned that, you know, there's actually more of a robust framework, actually, for listening to your own heart. Um, so, and I want to make a very big disclaimer, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. So I am not tonight talking about how you do boundaries with things in life and the world and other people. That's, I'm not actually talking about that. I'm actually talking about how you negotiate your heart with God and how God comes to you and, our, and your spiritual life. Um, that's what I'm talking about tonight. And so like um, you know, our wonderful posture people represented these four things, I think, I mean, and again, this is just a framework. 
It's incomplete and it's a metaphor that limps. But I think there's more than just two ways of understanding our own hearts when it comes before God, either yes or no, obedient or disobedient. And I think this is where those... So we have a posture of openness and willingness to God. What do we have? Open hands. Chris was wide open arms. That's the posture of the, the, you know, the wonderful yes to God. And we actually we see that probably most beautifully represented in Scripture by Mary, the mother of Jesus, who when the angel comes to her and says, hey, Mary, you're going to have you know, a baby and it's going to be the son of God. What does she say? Anyone remember? Let it be. Let it be to me according to your will. Yes! Um, It may have been a hugely naive yes, but it was a yes nonetheless, an open posture to God that said, let it be to me. And that that's often a posture we can take with the things of God. When we feel like we're in that place, we have a radical yes to God. That's a beautiful place to be. There's also, you know, places and times in our hearts when we might actually have a defiance and a stubbornness and a no. And if we're honest with ourselves, we might be able to identify a couple of times in our life when actually that's been the posture of our heart to the things of God. God has come to us and we have said a defiant no. Did anyone? No one did that, did they? What else did we have? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. No, defiance. In scripture, there are examples of this. One of the, one of the first ones I think that we see is the story of Cain and Abel, where actually God comes to Cain prior to him slaughtering his brother and he has a conversation with Cain which is really about the state of Cain's own heart and in that whole narrative actually God speaks with Cain and Cain never says a word in response in that in that early bit it's just a posture of defiance and then of course he kills Abel and the story goes from there so there are times when I think we could recognize in our own hearts We do have a stubbornness and a resistance and a no to the things of God. There are many, many reasons within any given community why we we may posture ourselves like that. And tonight I'm passing no judgment on us for those things in life that we've said no to God about. But what I've learned is that there are actually other places that our heart goes in our spiritual life that are worth paying attention to beyond the simple yes or the radical no, or the radical yes and the simple no, however you want to class that. And one of those is our hearts can actually be um, resistant to God. God might come to us, we might sense God speaking to us, we might know what God would require of us, we might, you know, and all manner of things And yet we feel in our hearts a resistance to do the thing or respond in a way that we feel like we should. And resistance is different to stubbornness or defiance. Like stubbornness or defiance is I know what I'm supposed to do or I know what God's asking me to do and I won't do it. I won't do it. Like that's a kind of stubborn resistant posture to God 
not, not resistant, a stubborn, defiant posture to God. A resistance to God, like we know what God is asking us to do and we're resisting. In our hearts, we know we're resisting what God is asking us to do. And what I have learnt actually about resistance is that resistance is actually the way that we protect ourselves from something we're not yet ready to know. Resistance is the way we protect ourselves, we protect our hearts from something we're not yet ready to know. And when we recognise resistance in our hearts to the things of God, the, the answer to that resistance or the what to do with that resistance is not like push through, break down the wall, go hard, like break down the resistance. It's actually to sit still enough to ask ourselves what that resistance is doing. Because the resistance is always a protection mechanism. So the better question to ask ourselves when we feel our hearts are resistant to God is to ask ourselves, what am I protecting? What am I protecting? And then to sit long enough with that question, what am I protecting, in order for Jesus to meet us in that place. Once we are once we've sort of recognised, oh, actually, I think I'm protecting myself, like the lights go on. So I think resistance is like, you could call it ignorant protection, and the protective stance is like knowledgeable protection. Like I actually know there's something I'm protecting and I'm not quite ready to say yes because I, I need to protect this part of me, but I'm doing it consciously. Are you with me? Making sense. So resistance is like unconscious protection, And what I've got up there is protective, is actually like conscious protection. Like I actually know there's something here in my heart that I need to protect. So I want to give a few examples of this because, and the reason I've I've wanted to talk about this tonight is because I actually think it's really important every now and then for us to check in with our hearts, to check in with where God's meeting us and to acknowledge that it's a complex thing. And, and I want to invite you in your own relationship with God as you're sitting here and listening to me tonight to just consider your own heart and to consider the places of your heart where you might be resonating with each one of those. So here's an example. God comes to us with the invitation to forgive someone. Either God comes to us in a a sense that the Holy Spirit convicts us and reveals that sense of, hey, uh, you need to forgive this person. Or we actually just know, I need to forgive. Like, it can be both cognitive and kind of like, you know, heart-based. To, to the invitation uh, to forgive, we can say an outright no. That's always on the table. We can say an outright yes, yes, I know, thank you, I need to forgive, and I forgive. Like they're kind of like the the simple ends of the spectrum on forgiveness. When we find ourselves resistant to the invitation to forgive someone, something, it's worth asking the deeper question of what am I trying to protect 
So I'm resisting the call to forgiveness. I can sense that resistance in my heart. So a good question to ask is, what am I trying to protect? Why? It might, and, and the resistance to forgiveness might express itself in, I don't know how to forgive, or it might express itself in, I don't want to forgive. It might express itself in, um, like, I, I can't forgive. Like, there's all kinds of ways that a resistance to forgiveness expresses itself. An avoidance, God's asking me to forgive, so I just won't pray for six months because that way, I'm not saying no, <laughs> but neither are we talking about it. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? We, we, do, we do all kinds of things. So it's worth listening. If I'm struggling to forgive, what's the resistance about? What are you protecting? This is what I've learned in my own life when I've struggled to forgive. To forgive. When I know I've needed to forgive, Holy Spirit's come to me and, you know, prompted my heart to forgive and I sense that resistance. Like, what I have probably most often learned is my resistance to forgive that person is usually a reflection of the protection that I've never really admitted how deeply I've been wounded. So... I, I like to keep things surface level. <laughs> My resistance to forgive is often the recognition that I, I haven't paid attention to how deeply I've been wounded. Because I haven't paid attention to how deeply I've been wounded, I can often feel unable to forgive because I'm protecting that thing. So the invitation in those moments to all of us is actually to sit with how deeply we've been wounded and invite Jesus into that space because we're probably protecting something. And if we're willing to move our resistance from kind of like unconscious resistance to forgiveness to, oh, I realise I'm resisting. My resistance is a protection mechanism. What am I protecting? I'm protecting my heart because I'm afraid of what it means to forgive. I'm afraid of what it says if I forgive. And I'm deeply wounded and I don't know what to do with that grief and that wound. Oh, so I can sit with Jesus in this place. And I can sit there for as long as it takes for Jesus to work in that wounded place until I no longer need to protect that and then I can forgive. And all along the way in that scenario, we can still say prayers of forgiveness out of obedience. It's good to do that. And yet we can also recognise the resistance in our hearts and pay attention to that and to sit with it until, um, until we, feel, we feel okay. And, you know, we can sit with it. We can hear, the, hear that, that second verse that I read out. We can hear the invitation of Jesus to gather us under his wings. How I've longed to gather you and you haven't been willing. And sometimes our unwillingness to be gathered to Jesus is a reflection of the fact we haven't paid attention to really what's going on in our own hearts. So that's, that's an example of forgiveness, which is a bit more of a personal, deeper example. Here's another example of how this operates, but more in the cognitive um, space, in the thinking space. And so this, this framework can also um, work when we sense ourselves resistance to new ways of thinking or we sense ourselves resistant to an idea or to a change that's going on in our life or around us. 
And probably the best um, example, or the example I want to give to you tonight, is how we see this operating really clearly in the Gospels and the New Testament early church time. And so the framework I want to lay this out for you is around the, the inclusion of Gentiles into the church. Okay? So this is possibly the major issue that most of the New Testament talks about. It's the book of Acts. It's the wrestling that Peter and Paul have. It's, it's all the way through. Are Gentiles able to be included into the church? Um, they took, well, many, many decades to resolve this one. So this is a slow-moving thing. So what we see, when Jesus, when Jesus ministered and walked the earth, we see in Jesus a radical inclusiveness of all people. He modelled that by his table hospitality, by everyone he was willing to engage with and touch, including the outcasts, the lepers, the women, the sick, even the dead. Everything that made Jesus um, legally unclean, he radically made himself unclean. <laughs> he was just, he crossed every boundary to demonstrate to, especially to the 12 and others that followed him, that there were no boundaries between people and God, but God was going to cross every boundary to reach every person with his love. So we see throughout all the Gospels this radical gospel of inclusion where everyone is welcome. And then Jesus ascends and passes over, you know, the mantle to his 12 and others to continue on his ministry. And very quickly what we see is a withdrawal back from radical inclusion of Gentiles back to the early church being quite a Jewish thing. Almost, you could say, a breakaway Jewish sect. They still met in the temple. They still went to the synagogues. They worshipped Jesus, but it became radically Jewish. And then we see the Holy Spirit of God stretching and prompting his people to move again towards radical inclusion. And we see the resistance most of all in the person of Peter. And if you ever track this through Peter's story, it's amazing to see. Peter is a great example of <laughs> um, what it looks like to follow God, warts and all. And I'm really grateful for how much he's written about the, the person of Peter because it makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> basically. So we see in Peter actually a huge resistance to the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church. And we get this sense that him, him and the other apostles in Jerusalem, once Paul has his radical conversion from no to yes, and Paul starts agitating for the inclusion of Gentiles, you know, the, 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 the people in Jerusalem get word and there's conflict. Do you, you know, this is a lot of the story of Acts. And so they're saying this and they're coming back with that and it's this argument and debate. And Paul, because we get most of the writings of Paul, we see his um, <laughs> tongue lashings of the others a bit more clearly than we see um, other things and that's okay. But there's this resistance in Peter. The question that's worth asking is, what's Peter trying to protect? Because if he's resistant to this radical inclusion, despite the fact that he's seen Jesus model this beyond anything, he's watched this model. But then when left to himself, he withdraws back into what's comfortable and safe. 
What's he protecting? Well, he's actually protecting lots of good things that he felt like he needed to protect. He's protecting the, his own cultural understanding of God. He's protecting the, I don't know how old he was at this point, 30, 40 years of what he's learned God is like and how God works in the world. He's, you know, Jesus radically changed everything he knew about God and he kind of, after that, kind of withdraws back to what's safe. Much the same way that we do when confronted with new things. It takes us a long time to like to change our thinking sometimes about ourselves, about things in the world, about things of God. We tend to fall back into safe places. And then Peter is confronted and confronted again. He's protecting the laws that are written down in the Old Testament. That's what he's protecting. He's protecting the law of God as he understands it to be. And he's protecting the covenantal requirements of God's people. If we were situated in that same age, it's likely we would have been on Peter's side because what he was protecting would have been most logical and holy to us as we knew it. So he's not resisting because he's slack. He's not resisting because he just is, well, he is stubborn, but he's He's, he's resisting because he's protecting what he feels like is God's law, God's righteous law and covenantal requirements. And so we see time and time and time again, uh, God through Paul and others confronting Peter. And then, of course, the climax of all of this is Peter's dream that he has on the rooftop. You know the story where, you know, Peter falls asleep or falls into a trance and he sees, he has a dream where he sees all the unclean animals being lowered down and God's saying to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no way, that's unclean. And it happens three times until he gets the message. And we kind of think that's funny, but God's been trying to give Peter this message for probably 25 years. So this is a very slow learner, which makes me feel better about myself. And then, of course, we know the story, Cornelius comes. And that actually changes Peter's mind. But the changing of his mind on this took an extremely long time. He was resistant because he was protecting. And the graciousness of God is that God comes in this way to Peter and that way to Peter and this way to Peter and that way to Peter until Peter, Peter's able to drop the protective mechanisms, let go and step into a new way and realm of freedom that God has for him where all people are radically included. And so we see this idea of resistance and protection at work when it comes to our thinking as well. And so if, if you are struggling to think in a new way, that you are longing to think in a new way, if you, are, if you feel like um, God's offering new, new, new perspective, but you've got questions and you feel resistant, it's worth asking yourself, like, what am I trying to protect? What am I protecting? It's just a, it's a worthwhile heart question to ask. Because maybe if we sit long enough with that, that question of what I'm protecting, we might realise that what we're protecting doesn't actually need our protection. And we can let it go and follow the spirit as they lead us. So resistance is always about 
a desire to protect. Might be protecting ourselves, a part of ourselves. Might be protecting something we've always known. And here's a little, like, just handy hint. If, if the answer to what I'm protecting, if you ask yourself what I'm protecting and the answer you come to is, I'm protecting God, then you're probably protecting an idol because God never needs your protection. So that's, that's why it's worth asking us this question. What am I protecting? You never need to protect God. God God's well able to <laughs> navigate the complexities of the world on his own. So... <clears throat> Where do I want to go with this? Okay. Um, one of the reasons I think we might sit or find ourselves in a resistant or a protective space um, is because we've been deeply wounded by something. And because I'm talking about the spiritual life and life with God um, tonight. I'm not talking about boundaries in the world. I guess what I'm wanting to bring to our attention collectively as a community is um, the growing awareness, I think, that's out there for us in the complexities of understanding wounding and trauma that have actually occurred in a spiritual space. Um, I think this is an area of growing knowledge in the, in, in the world, in, in the church at the moment. It's a growing understanding of wounding and trauma that's taken place within the body of Christ and the effect that that has had on people who've experienced that wounding and that trauma. And so you might be sitting here tonight and that might not apply to you um, at all. And if, if it doesn't, um, you can just be very grateful that that is not part of your story. But I know that it's actually genuinely part of, of the story of many people. And it's actually a part of the story of many people who are a part of our community here at Central. Um, for whatever reason, in the grace of God, we seem to be a safe place as a community for those who have experienced in the past, deep wounding or spiritual trauma in the church. And so I want to I raise that in our awareness tonight because I think it helps us to understand how we relate to each other well and how we love one another well and how we continue to be a community of grace for one another. And so there, is, there are people in our midst, maybe here tonight or maybe who aren't here tonight, who in their life with God and in their spirituality, have actually experienced trauma in that space. And I think what, is, what the growing understanding is, is that when someone has experienced a deep wounding or a trauma in their spiritual life or in the church, where whether it's with a leader um, or at the hands of Christian culture and it's done deep damage to them, that that is actually 
um, a very specific type of wounding that actually needs a very deep kind of healing. Um, and it, it is often quite deep in our hearts and our bodies and our minds because of the deep importance and very beautiful holiness and reverence that we have for God and for spirituality. And so because, you know, we have, you know, as Christians, we love God and we love and give ourselves to the body of Christ, when we experience deep trauma in those places, it's often a very deep wounding that takes, that that happens. Um, And so, so this is where, again, understanding this idea of how our hearts are helps us to just enter into safer waters when we're talking about God and responding to God. And so this, you know, the wounding and the trauma that's been done could be, I know that God is not a wounder and he's never the source of trauma, but often a misunderstanding of God or who God is can often be a source of wounding for us. So when we've misunderstood the character of God, when leaders and preachers have delivered to us a version of God that we've found has, you know, been hurtful or wounding, that's where the wounding sits. It's not with God as God is love and gentleness and peace and kindness. It's often in a different place. And other people have experienced wounding and trauma done by facets of Christian culture that have failed to resemble the gentleness and kindness and the love of God. Um, And when we experience wounding in those places, we often find ourselves with a hesitant heart or a resistant heart, or a protective heart. And I just want to say that actually if that's where you find yourself, or if that's what you're encountering in another person, that it's actually okay for someone who's experienced deep wounding to have a hesitant and a protected heart. Because as we go back to the verse in Proverbs, high wisdom is to guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And so there are actually times, I think, where the highest wisdom for each one of us is to guard our hearts. Um, Not to stay guarded forever, but because that's the wisdom that we need to apply in the moment. Um, I want to, I'm going to, let me give a personal example of this, um, because that is vulnerable and uncomfortable for me and might help. Um, Are you okay to hear something personal? You'd be kind to me if I tell you. (laughs) (laughs) That's because I wrote wrote this note, example if I feel, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So I'm deciding, what do I feel? (sighs) Okay. This is why I'm hesitant to share this, because I actually don't want you to come and fix me, okay? Because this is a part of my heart that is guarded and it's a part of my heart that I actually bring under the wings of Jesus and may need to do so for a while. And and maybe I'll get back to a place of openness and maybe I won't, but both are in the hands of the Lord, okay? So that's why I'm hesitant because I'll I'll even get teary talking about that. And so I have spent most um, most of my formative life in the charismatic church. 
where, um, you know, gifts of healing and words of knowledge and speaking in tongues and the prophetic has been part of the way that we've operated as a body of Christ. And there is a whole lot of goodness and beauty in, in those places and those gifts. And I also know that there is a whole lot of trauma and pain in those places and with those gifts. Um, both are true and we navigate our journeys with Jesus as we go. But one of the places in, that I would feel like I hold a sense of woundedness in my heart has to do with the prophetic. Um, so when I was a late teenager and into, well into my 20s, you know, the prophetic was always like usually a platform kind of ministry where someone with a prophetic gift or um, something like that would come into the church and, you know, they would prophesy and they would, they would pick out people in the crowd and, and prophesy over them. And, um, and, and that can be a really great thing and that can be a very human thing. And again, that's left for us to navigate. But what I started to notice and I think what would be, anyway, what I started to notice was that the people who tended to get the prophetic gifts were by and large the young men who showed potential to lead the church, by and large. And I was a young woman who was quiet and um, I, didn't, I didn't fit the typical prophetic word. And yet there were deep desires in my heart to hear from God, to questions I was asking God about who I was and what he was calling me to do that I longed to, to hear God's um, voice on. And I can probably say that I... It may have been one time that I feel like in my entire life I've received a um, significant prophetic word. But I, I sat in hundreds of meetings where this took place and I was overlooked, <laughs> you could say. And that overlooking was a, it was, it was a hard thing in my heart to hold, to recognise that I was the one that was easily dismissed. I was the one that was overlooked. I was the one that despite my longing to hear from God, God didn't seem to ever want to speak to me, at least through the person with the gift. And I've been in, um, but I have, in all those years, maintained a posture of openness where I'm like, God, I'm open. If there's an opportunity, I'll open myself to receive it. Like I, and every time I would open myself up, it almost provided a new opportunity for there to be another little layer of wounding. And it, and it got to the point where in the last probably five years, I, I, um, I said yes to a couple of um, occasions of um, having a prophetic word where there was a group of, this was, yeah, three people I knew, there was a group of prophets who would, you could say I'd like a prophetic appointment and they would have your name and that's about all they knew about you and then they'd pray and they would, you'd then have a, a, was on Zoom, you'd have a meeting with them and they'd just share their, what they got in prayer for you. And every time, uh, this happened 
least two or three times. And every time, the things that they said had nothing to do with me. Like, I can't, I, I could tell you what they said. It was just like, I remember, I remember having that posture of openness going, God, I really want to hear, hear your voice. I'm open to hearing from you. There are things that I'm questioning you about. I'm putting myself out there. And then they, the things that they would say, honestly, had like, they were so far from who I was, it was unbelievable. Um, and that was fine, you know. But I, I came to a point where I realised, actually, this is wounding my heart in a way that's not helpful. And maybe I need to learn how to guard my heart um, so that it can be a wellspring of life. And so I had some conversations with a few different people that I highly respect and I talked this through with them, this experience of the prophetic. And they suggested to me that maybe I could apply a filter to the prophetic word in my life and that filter would be I would hear words of encouragement and prophecy from those who knew me and loved me. So I could stay open to the gift but I could guard my heart at the same time. And so out of all of that, that's actually what I've decided to do at this point in time is to find myself snuggling up under the, <laughs> the wings of Jesus, bringing the, the woundedness of my heart in this area to him, being able to say, God, for 30 years I've wanted this and it's never happened and it's wounded me, but I don't want to be defiant, a defiant no. I don't want to shut my heart off from your Holy Spirit. I want to stay open, but I need to guard my heart because it is the wellspring of life and I feel myself not being okay in this area. So I, I've, I've done that. And I don't know what will happen from now on. Maybe no one will ever say anything prophetic over me. I don't believe that. But I have, that's, that's a little thing that I've done. That's because I feel like I've been wounded in a spiritual space. And it's felt quite hard and quite deep. And I felt the temptation to want to shut down. And I have not, I've wanted to resist that, but I've also needed to protect myself. And this is how we negotiate the places of our hearts where we long to stay open but we know we need to protect. And the Holy Spirit leads us in that. And so to me, preaching to myself tonight and to those of us here who have experienced a kind of wounding in our hearts with things with God, with things with the spirit, with things with the spiritual life. This is what I'd want to say to us. I want, I want to say the scriptures actually encourage us as highest wisdom to guard our hearts. And it's okay to do that in spiritual spaces. I want to say to us that Jesus is the true one beyond all that we experience that's messy, who longs to just gather us under his wings like a hen and when we feel like our hearts are wounded we can find ourselves nestling under the wing of Jesus with our with all of us 
And the last thing I want to say, pulling out of that last verse with Thomas, is that wounds sometimes remain in us um, but can actually be transfigured by Christ's glory and beauty. And that's one of the things I love about that, those post-resurrection stories of Jesus is his wounds weren't erased. They became a, pla- a meeting place for others. And I think that's the hope that lies before us when we've experienced our own levels of wounding in life, in church, with God, is that the wounds sometimes remain a little bit visible, but they have the potential to be transfigured to meeting places. And that's my prayer for each one of us as we continue to journey with God, that our wounds might remain, we might be left with some scars, but they actually have the potential to be beautiful and to be connecting points for other people. So as we finish tonight, I want to I finish, and we're going to come to the table as we finish, and I want to just leave you with an invitation to, to consider your heart, to consider where your heart is tonight. And I guess I want to say that I know that your heart is not only going to be in one place. There are going to be some places of your heart that feel very open to God. There might be some places where you feel quite resistant to God. There might be some places that you feel quite protective. And we're never one thing. We're always a hot mess of all kinds of stuff. But if the Holy Spirit has raised something in you, in your own heart tonight, I want you to just sit with that for a little bit. And I want, I want you to pay attention to maybe there's been an area of your life where you've realised, actually, I can sense resistance. I can admit that I've got resistance in my heart towards someone or something. And I, and I want to invite you tonight and ongoing through this week to sit with that and just ask yourself, underneath my resistance, what might I be protecting? Is there something underneath my resistance that actually I'm protecting? And then I, I want to invite you to let Jesus into that protective place and simultaneously hear the invitation of Jesus to enter into his protected place underneath his wings, that your heart might feel safe and that Jesus might meet you where you find yourself. And so I might just pray and give us a moment to just, to just do that. Jesus, we know that you are kind, you are trustworthy, you are good. That your words to us tonight might be how I've longed to gather you under my wings. And Jesus, we just bring our hearts towards you. 
We bring our hearts to be opened to you. And we bring those resistant places in our hearts, God. We bring those protective places in our hearts and we just ask you, Jesus, to sit with us in those places. That, Lord, we'd be open to your gentleness, to your movements of healing and wholeness in our lives. That you would give us wisdom, Lord, to know how to guard our hearts. Lord, we want to have hearts that are open and willing. We want to have hearts that say yes to you. That's why we're here. And yet we carry things, God, and we know that we, we find you and you find us in those places as well. And so bear with us gently, Jesus. Be patient with our hearts that we might honour you with all that we are and all that we have. And Jesus, I pray that as we come to your table tonight, the table that represents your life, your life that was poured out for us, and your body that was broken. Jesus, we know that you are not ashamed and you are not afraid and you are not worried about woundedness. But you opened up your own woundedness that we might find freedom. And so as we bring ourselves, as we bring our hearts in whatever state they are, Jesus, to your table, we just receive you we receive the brokenness of your body for us. We receive the poured out blood for us, for our healing, for our forgiveness. And as we eat and as we drink tonight, would we know, Jesus, deep in our bodies, in our hearts, in our spirits, that you are with us, that your Holy Spirit is gently at work in us, making us, into the likeness of you. <coughs> Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. <laughs>